Lord God, thank you so much that we can come aside on a day like this uh, to worship you, to bring honor and glory to Jesus as we praise him, uh, and also to worship you by seeking your face and your word. I pray, Father, that as we read your word, you would open it up to us in the power of your Holy Spirit, that not only would we read it, but also we would live it out. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would come and rest on me so that I can bring your word to your people today, boldly and faithfully. We love you, we honor you, we worship you, and we adore you. And we thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's start reading with verse uh, 50. Paul, in this chapter, he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and particularly the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Now, all the time, uh, a lot of people uh, where I travel, people ask questions like, you know, do you know when, uh, when uh, the rapture is going to happen, the second coming of Jesus and the rapture? Uh, and I can say conclusively, I do know when it's going to happen. I can say that clearly from the Bible uh, when it's going to happen because it's exactly what Paul says. Uh, Paul says the rapture occurs in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. That's when it's going to happen. Now, what, when is the last trumpet? Well, in the book of Revelation, you actually have seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And uh, the seventh trumpet is the last trumpet. Uh, and the seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation is the time when Jesus Christ comes again. And Paul says at that moment, we will all be changed uh, in the twinkling of an eye. The dead will be raised imperishable and all of us will be changed and we will put on our new resurrection bodies and we will be raised imperishable. Uh, those of us, uh, the dead in Christ will come out first uh, and then the rest of us will be gathered up to meet him in the air. And that's really exciting uh, when, that, when that happens and I look forward to the day uh, whether I'm dead or alive, I really look forward to the day when that occurs. Uh, and so, uh, so in the Bible, you can know exactly when is 
When is the, the rapture going to occur? It's at the last trumpet. Of course, we don't know what day the last trumpet is on or at what point in time in the future the last trumpet is going to be. Uh, but we know that it's coming and that day is going to happen one day, hopefully. Well, I know one thing. It's sooner uh, today than it was yesterday. It's nearer today than it was yesterday, and we know that. Now, Paul was writing to people who very much like us were traveling through tough times. I mean, the church in, the, the church in Corinth, to begin with, it was a pretty messed up church. Uh, the church in Corinth had a lot of divisions and a lot of strife. And, you know, it was the church where, you know, people would say, some people would say, well, I follow Peter. And then other people would say, well, I follow Paul. And then there'd be other people who say, well, I follow Jesus. Uh, and I, you know, even today, I talk with people who are like that, you know, who will say, oh, no, I, I don't go to any church. I just follow Jesus, as if somehow that makes them superior, uh, which it doesn't, by the way. Uh, and there's no such thing as following Jesus outside the church. I mean, God makes that pretty clear. Uh, throughout the text but they were going through these kinds of issues inside they had struggles and you know a lot of churches today are having the same kind of struggles and outside they had struggles they were experiencing a lot of persecution it was a small group of people this church wasn't big uh, it wasn't a mighty church so they were divided amongst themselves they were pretty tiny overall in terms of their numbers uh, and in fact, the church continued to struggle like this, we know, all the way into uh, the second century, to, to at least uh, the year 100 or so. We have letters that were written by other bishops to the church of <laughs> Corinth saying, can't you guys get your act together, basically? So they, they always seem to struggle, and they always seem to go through these difficult times. But Paul here, in writing this letter, is telling them a lot about how to travel through tough times. And that's what we've been looking at the last number of months. In fact, this is the last sermon in this series, uh, Traveling Through Tough Times. Next week, I'll begin a new series. Uh, and, uh, and I wanted to conclude this series basically with what Paul concluded for the Corinthians in his advice to them about traveling through tough times. And Paul's instruction there is right there in verse 58, where he says, therefore. I, I'm not a big fan, most of you might know, of very cute uh, ways of looking at, at the Greek. Like, uh, for example, many times over the years, I've heard people say, uh, what is atonement? And they'll say, at one mint. That what, that's what atonement means. And every time somebody says that, I say, no, it doesn't. You have no idea what the Greek means. Uh, because you can't do that normally. But there is one that I think is relatively accurate when you're studying the Bible. I heard someone say one time, whenever you see therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is it therefore? Because every time there's a therefore, there's an instruction that Paul is giving based on what he has just said that is something you really need to pay attention to. So every time in Paul's writing you read the word therefore, you really need to pay attention to it because Paul is about to say something really, really important. 
And so he's taking them on this journey here. And he's talked about the most important thing in the Christian life, that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he concludes his discussion with, therefore, therefore. And what is he saying to them? Therefore, be steadfast. Remain steadfast. Remain steadfast. Immovable. He, he uses that word to describe it. That's the only place in the whole Bible immovable is used. So Paul is telling us here, if you're traveling through tough times, uh, amongst all the other disciplines that we've been talking about the last few months, we also need to remain steadfast. Remain steadfast. <clears throat> the idea of being steadfast is the idea of being established on a very strong foundation. Uh, in many cases, uh, this word would describe uh, a throne that somebody sits on, and this throne is built on top of solid rock that goes into the ground. So you sit on the throne, and sometimes the throne would even be carved out of this solid rock, so if you're sitting on the throne and you get the strongest guys possible to come run at you, you know, maybe you, you pick out uh, the, the strongest group of, uh, uh, of uh, rugby players that you can imagine, and you get them to come at you and they come and all together they hit that, that chair, nothing can shift it. Nothing can move it. That's the idea of being steadfast. And as we travel through tough times, we have to have the attitude, nothing is going to move me. Nothing is going to shift me. Nothing is going to push me away from the reality that I know. And I will live that life of steadfastness. I will remain steadfast. I will remain founded on this rock foundation that you can't move, you can't even dig this thing out. It is so strong, it is so solid. That's what Paul tells us. If we're traveling through tough times, we have to determine that we will remain steadfast. Now this is true all the time, obviously. But what often happens when we're going through tough times, we often ask ourselves things like, well, did God really say this? Am I really supposed to do this? Does God really want me to suffer? Does God really want me to struggle? Surely, uh, surely God would rather I abandon my marriage and go and, and have an affair and find a new wife someplace. Surely God would want me to leave my church, uh, even though it's struggling, uh, and go and find a, a better church where I can sit back and, and be more at ease and, and wouldn't have these struggles. Surely these things would happen. Surely God wants these easier pathways for me. And the truth is that almost never does God want us to take the easy path. In fact, he says, wide is the way that leads to destruction. Easy is the path. Wide is the way that's going to lead you to destruction. So we need to determine that we will remain steadfast. We will remain steadfast. How do we do this? What is the secret to remaining steadfast? And there are two things that Paul is pointing out to us here. Two absolute essential ingredients to being steadfast. The first 
flows out of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, as I've said many times, is the most reliably established ancient historical fact. No reputable historian could dispute the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was buried, that he died, that he was buried, that he was raised to life. No reputable historian will dispute that. Now there's some that will try to find fancy arguments around it, but the truth is if you apply the same principles of studying ancient history as you apply to anyone else, like Julius Caesar, Augustus, the ancient China, if you apply any of those historic, those principles for studying the historic realities like this, you'll discover the resurrection of Jesus is the most well-established ancient historical fact. He really did rise bodily from the dead. Now, that's a, a lot different from what you'll do about it. Not everybody who would come to that conclusion will also follow Jesus. You know, for some people, they'll say, well, that's kind of an, a nice historical anomaly. Uh, maybe there's something we don't understand about it, uh, but that doesn't mean that they'll necessarily follow Jesus. But for Paul, he's saying here in this text, this is established. I mean, there are witnesses galore that are alive in the time of Paul that believe that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, this is the earliest written testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This book was written before the Gospels were written because many of those stories were around uh, even as Paul was writing here. And out of that, he talks a bit about the bodies that we're going to have and he talks about the, the second coming of Jesus and the rapture, all these things that are going to happen that, that all flow out of this text but they're all founded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus has bodily risen from the dead, then we can trust everything else Jesus said. Because after all, he said he was going to die and then rise bodily from the grave. I mean, he told his disciples that before it happened, and then he actually did it. So we can trust what Jesus says, but more importantly, according to Paul in verse 57... He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So knowing that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, that means even our greatest human enemy, that is death in this case, even our greatest human enemy has been defeated. Death is not the end for us. Death is not the defeat for us. We have a life that continues on even after our present physical bodies die. That's what Paul is saying. So that's not the end for us. So no matter what happens to us, no matter what tough times we go through, our end is victory. We have received the victory already in Jesus Christ. And the language that Paul uses here says, thanks be to God who gives us and keeps on giving us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in every situation, we can be victorious. In every thing that we face, we can experience victory. Now, it doesn't mean that it's always going to happen the way we want it to happen. Uh, if you're having troubles at work, victory doesn't mean you might not get fired. You can get fired but still have the victory. 
because you come out on the other side of that troubling time with your honor intact, your dignity intact, your integrity intact, and you're able to hold your head up high and move on to the next thing that God has for you. I remember back, this is uh, more than 20 years ago, I was going through a really dark time in my last church, and, and frankly, I thought that I was, that I was gonna be gone, you know, that, that I would probably get fired. And I was expecting that, and I was praying to the Lord, and I just said to the Lord, I said, okay, Lord, what comes next? Because I knew in that moment that even if the church decided that it no longer wanted me to be its minister, even if something happened that I couldn't continue there because of the conflict we were going through at the time, I knew that God had something for me on the other side of all of that. I knew that that was not the end for me. I knew that God's promises endured beyond the troubling times that I was traveling through, the tough times that I was going through. And that's what Paul is telling us. We can have this confidence there that we have victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is, if we remain steadfast. So often, it's not the enemy that defeats us, but we defeat ourselves because we disobey the Lord, because we don't persevere in what God has told us to do. And we must not defeat ourselves. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to do. So the first key to remaining steadfast is to realize that because of the resurrection, this is founded on the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is clearly established. Because of this, we will have victory. God gives us and keeps on giving us victory through Jesus Christ. If we have relationship with Jesus, and remember what we said this whole time, in order to apply these disciplines, we need to have a focus on Jesus and be filled with the Spirit. Focus on Jesus, be filled with the Spirit. And then Paul goes on and gives us the second key, I believe, to remaining steadfast. He tells us to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That means when you go to work, when you go back to the, your workplace, you're doing it for Jesus. You're not doing it for your boss. You're not doing it for your paycheck. You're doing it for Jesus. If you please your boss and you get paid for it, that's a bonus. But the focus is Jesus. And every day while we're going to work, every day while we're at home, every day when we're engaging in the community, we need to understand that we are there to do the work of the Lord. And the work of the Lord might be a, a number of different things. Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. And so we need to walk into those good works. Now, you won't always know what those good works are in advance. God often doesn't tell you, oh, by the way, go to work today and you're going to meet somebody who's sick and I want you to pray for them. You just go to work and you see a coworker who's sick and you get this nudge, pray for this person. And then if you're like me, you go, oh, I'm, I'm kind of afraid. I don't really want to pray for the person. But then you kind of press through and you pray for them. Now, and Paul says, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abound in the work of the Lord. But that is not the key to remaining steadfast. It's the second part of the phrase where he says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not 
in vain. I talk to so many Christians who say, well, I haven't done much for God. You know, I've only done a few things. It it really, you know, it doesn't seem that important. It doesn't seem that significant. Uh, I prayed for a few sick people, or I've shared the gospel with one coworker, or, uh, you know, I'm raising my kids, and I I want them to know Jesus. Uh, But I I really don't have any ministry outside my kids, really. I'm just focusing in on them. Or, 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 you know, I'm not a real preacher at church. Uh, I'm just doing dishes at church. And I I, I really enjoy doing the dishes. But I I, I would be terrified to stand up in front of somebody and, and preach. And we have a tendency to discount what we do. We all have a tendency to discount the significance of what we're doing in the Lord. And Paul says, abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not empty. It's not meaningless. Everything we do for the Lord, all that the Lord gives us to do, everything is significant. Everything is significant. Sometimes life is a bit like that, uh, that uh, say, cupboard that we're putting together from Ikea. And we do all this work, and we find this one piece that's left over, and we think, oh, that's not that important. And then we pull out the drawer, and the whole cupboard collapses. You know, or we're like the car mechanic, and it says, huh. I have this bolt left over. Oh, must not be important. I'll just toss it in my toolkit. And then the engine falls out of the car. In life, there are so many small things that are so significant. And the problem is, you don't know how significant they are. Because you're not the mechanic. You don't know how significant they are because you have not designed the cupboard. You don't know how significant they are because you're not God. All we have to do is trust that our labor in the Lord, no matter how big or how small, is not in vain. It's not in vain. And if we found ourselves on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, knowing that in Christ we have the victory, and if we continue on working for Jesus, because we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain, those are the keys for us to remain steadfast. And when we remain steadfast, as we travel through tough times, it gives glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for this whole series that we've been able to engage in. Thank you for the things that we've learned. I thank you, Lord, for the people that will listen to the series Uh, online or through SoundCloud, and I ask that they would be blessed in so doing. And I pray, Lord, that all of us, you'd help us to remain steadfast. Remain steadfast, knowing that we have victory in Jesus. Remain steadfast, knowing that our labor in the Lord is never in vain. And we look forward to that day when we'll see you face to face, and we'll see how all of this fits together to your glory and praise. We thank you for all this in Christ's name.
Amen.